and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivakowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Brady Quinn looking, pump fakes, he rolls to the near side, throws it, it's caught by Samaja, inside the 20, inside the 10, he's going in, Notre Dame has scored! Jones is the back, he's got it again, and Jones a letter room, Tony Jones makes a cut, gets a block, and scores! Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? Welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Rojack alongside Luke Smith, and today we're going to be talking about Notre Dame's 28-20 victory over the formerly 16th-ranked BYU Cougars in Las Vegas. Uh, don't look now, but the Irish have picked themselves off the map after a disastrous 0-2 start, have now won three in a row, and even though the final score was probably closer than it should have been, overall, I think we both feel very good about what we saw on Saturday and where this team is headed. Um, apologies for the delay in getting this episode up, by the way. This season, we try to record on Sunday mornings to get our immediate reactions out there as soon as possible following the game. But with Luke's travel back from Las Vegas and my own upcoming travel for work these next two weekends, we won't be able to release our recap episodes until late Monday night, at least for the next few weeks. But we'll keep you updated on that going forward. We'll continue to release our game previews every Thursday for the rest of the season, though. And we're hoping to have one of our favorite guests uh, on this Thursday show. So keep an eye out for that as well. Before we get going here, we ask that you please like this video and subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate all the new listeners and viewers that have joined us this season. Uh, It's been great to see the audience grow, and your support makes the show better. So we really appreciate it. Um, Here's a quick word from our sponsors, and then we'll talk Notre Dame BYU. The NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. All right, let's check in our picks from last week. Uh, It didn't go so well. We managed to go 0-2 this past Sunday. The Lions, uh, they got housed by the Pats, uh, so they didn't cover plus three, and and the Eagles weren't able to cover minus five against the Cardinals either. Uh, Hopefully our picks this week are a little bit better. We'll let you hear those on Thursday. But, yeah, this was not a great week. (laughs) Big bounce back week for us. Check us out on Thursday. Yeah, exactly. But to make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code SOS to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code SOS only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. This episode is sponsored by Haas Company, a lifestyle brand that's about being the best version of yourself. Be the Haas. The Haas lives life without reservations, without doubt, and ready to answer the call each and every day. Check out their website at bethehaas.com and use promo code SUNS for 15% off on your next order. Check them out. This episode is also supported by Roback. Shop game-changing activewear with Roback. For those who crave activity, use the promo code 
SUNSND, that's S-O-N-S-N-D, to get 20% off your next order in the entire store at Roback.com. But we encourage all of our listeners to check out the Shamrock Polo, which would look great on Irish fans everywhere. That's promo code SUNSND at R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. All right, Luke, you were in Vegas all weekend long. I had a lot of FOMO. Tell us all about it. It was a great weekend. Um, you know, I still am not really completely sold on why people love Vegas so much, but I had a fun time. I think I spent just the amount of right time in there. Uh, little, I guess was it even, it wasn't even 48 hours, um, but that's that's all I really needed. Um, it was good to see a lot of people I hadn't seen in a long time. I, I will say the game itself, too, that that stadium is, is as advertised. It's it's awesome. It was an awesome atmosphere in the stadium. It, it felt like a playoff game in the stadium, to be honest. Um, and, and frankly, it actually probably felt better than any playoff game Notre Dame's played in because <laughs> of how those games have gone. Um, but BYU fans, I, I really got to hand it to them. They brought a lot of noise, but so did Notre Dame fans. It would be nice to see that continue this week against Stanford. I won't hold my breath for that because Notre Dame Stadium seems to take it out of everybody. But awesome weekend, and uh, I don't need to go back there anytime soon. I think I'm scheduled to go back there in March. That probably is too soon. But uh, anyways, great time. Are you going to be there for March Madness? Yeah, for a bachelor party. So I don't really want to do that, but... Um, <laughs> That's supposed sure to be the best weekend in Vegas, dude. I think that's going to be awesome. No, I know. And, and if my friend whose bachelor party is listening to this, I will be there. But right now, I have no, I have <laughs> no desire fair. to want to be there. That's definitely fair. Post-Vegas, uh, I don't think anyone's in a real hurry to get back there. And honestly, if you are, you're a sicko. And Yes, yeah, somebody, uh, somebody fainted on my flight back yesterday. I thought they died at first, but they, it was only a faint, thankfully. Uh, but they had to bring the paramedics on. And, and I think I still, still felt worse than that woman. So. <laughs> Damn. Did you do Vegas right? Did you faint or not on the plane ride home? It looked awesome on TV. Uh, it really was a, a rowdy atmosphere. They they showed on the broadcast the light show uh, in between the third and fourth quarter, which honestly wasn't an ideal time for Notre Dame because I think that's when they were starting to lose their grip on the momentum. But I, I think I said in the preview, I, I expected it to be like uh, 60-40, like Notre Dame fans obviously showing up more than BYU. But what do you think it was after being there on Saturday? I think I was still probably closer to my – estimation of 70 30 and honestly it might have been a little bit more in the casinos and like different vegas venues themselves you saw shockingly absolutely no byu fans (laughs) um but it was funny i actually uh i did see a pretty good t-shirt from a byu fan like they're basically calling it the end of independence tour which i kind of forgot that they're actually joining a conference next year right with the big, big 12 so that was funny but if you noticed um, there were a decent amount of BYU fans there, but they were all in the upper deck. And that stadium feels like it seats more than 62,000 people, even though that's all it is. It felt bigger, um, but that's really not that big. Um, but they were all up there. So Notre Dame did a great job for once of just putting away fans far away from the action and just kind of screwing them, And which I, I saw a lot of complaints from BYU fans on Twitter about the experience, which, buddy, it's a home game. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. So, um, But anyways, yeah, it was a cool atmosphere. Yeah, it looked really cool. Also, I, I got to say, this must be a thing with the Shamrock Series uniforms, or at least most of them. The way they look on the players in the actual game, for the most part, was usually way better. I'm thinking of the Yankees pinstripe ones. I mean, those could not have been worse. I thought those looked a lot yeah. better in person. These uh, Shamrock Series uniforms, I think we both liked them. We didn't love them. I thought they looked cool as hell in the stadium. 
Yeah, and honestly, I liked what they did with the ed- end zone design too. It was a little bit different than normal. Um, so really well planned weekend from Notre Dame's part. Um, and obviously, it's a lot more fun when you win. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into that now. But <clears throat> yeah, great weekend. Again, don't need to go back there anytime soon. Last bit on the Shamrock series. So next year is next year the Lambo year. Next year's Dublin. Okay, right. Duh. So next year is Dublin. I think I'll actually be at that one. Hopefully, my family's zero for two on Dublin trips. Uh, this is the third one we have booked. Hopefully, this one goes well. And then, yeah, twenty twenty four is Lambo. I think. And then hopefully, I think that might be twenty twenty six. Damn. I guess I'm just hope hopeful because I, I, I was hopeful as well, but I think it's in a couple years. <laughs> All right. Well, that's disappointing. Well, hopefully, we'll get back to Vegas and I can get there. As for the actual game, though, there's plenty of good and bad that we could discuss. But when you look at this game now that a couple days have passed, what's your main takeaway from Saturday? I think just how quickly the tune can change from week to week. This In this sport, perhaps more so than any other sport. I mean, you go back a couple weeks, there were a lot of people out there, and I was one of them for sure, saying Drew Pine had no business being on a college football field. Uh, Now the conversation is, should Drew Pine have started game one against Ohio State, and were we doing the wrong thing playing Tyler Buckner all along? It's just crazy how reactionary this sport is. And I understand it, right? It's a a short season. It's 12 games, so it's going to change week to week. But it's just funny how quickly your tune can change. But I think the biggest takeaway for me is that um, winning is is fun, right? And that's why the tune is changing the way it is right now. We've also seen a lot of progress and promise from some young groups and or, or young players in position groups, the offensive line. You see Jaden Thomas. I mean, there was Holden Stays the other night with his first catch. So there are things about this team to be excited about, um, even if – you know, there's not a college football playoff down the road here. There's still things to be excited. And I think that for a while I, I was not there. Um, okay. I don't think that I know I wasn't there. <laughs> um, but now there are some things to get excited about and there's the potential of playing spoiler. And I truly believe they can do that with Clemson and USC. So there are things to be excited about. And I think that's my biggest takeaway coming out of Saturday night. No doubt. There's plenty to be excited about still. Uh, the schedule we're, we're, should be in the easier portion of it over the course of these next two weeks. Then Notre Dame takes on Syracuse, who's currently ranked 18th, I believe, uh, before Clemson comes to town in early November. But you're right. I think winning cures a lot of that. And on Saturday, I think Notre Dame proved it could beat a good team because BYU is a good team. I mean, they certainly are a flawed team, but a good team. There's a reason why they're ranked 16th in the country. And Notre Dame wasn't clicking on all cylinders by any means. And yes, they should have won by more. And I was, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised by the reaction. People were upset that Notre Dame didn't really put their foot on the gas in the second half and run away with it. But I think when you consider where we were a few weeks back and where the team is now, I can't help but be really happy about where the team is and excited about the road ahead. And on Saturday, dude, that was one of the most stressful days of my entire life. In addition to the Notre Dame-BYU game, I had to suffer through 14 innings of scoreless postseason baseball with my Cleveland Guardians. So then I had to do that and then run it back at night with Notre Dame BYU. So yeah, I was stressing out more than probably anyone listening, just considering the day I had. But I was really happy with uh, the effort overall. And yeah, I mean, there's some things that they can improve upon, but I feel a lot better about this team now than I did a month ago. Yeah, when we left the game, I was talking to somebody and it didn't even really resonate with me at the time. They were like, we just beat the 16th ranked team in the country. I guess I, I didn't fully process that. And 
I know we beat Wisconsin last year, who was ranked, let's see, 18th at the time. But I, that's we haven't had – that's got to be one of our higher-ranked opponents we've beaten in the last several several seasons. So that's already a good start for this Marcus Freeman, uh, you know, re- redemption tour after the whole 0-3 start. So, yeah, I don't know. That, there's definitely a lot of things to be – positive about coming out of that and and I know that people would have liked to see us pound them but I kind of just realized that there are just some truly miserable people out there (laughs) that can't be happy with anything and this is coming from me um (laughs) that like whatever if if they're really going to be that upset about Notre Dame getting a win against a ranked opponent in an NFL stadium then I I can't help them yeah I guess the only reason why just as a fan base it didn't seem to resonate as much beating a ranked team is because Notre Dame was favored so I guess there was like an expectation that Notre Dame should win the game. But again, I guess I'm just feeling a lot better considering where this team was not too long ago. But I can't believe we made it this far into this podcast without mentioning Michael Mayer because the dude is – I don't even really have words to describe him at this point. Um, he's inevitable. He's going to dominate. He's going to get his. There's really nothing you can do to stop him. It doesn't matter how many teams or how teams game plan to try to stop him. He finished with 11 receptions, 118 yards two touchdowns, all in the process of becoming the career leader uh, with most receptions by a tight end in school history. He surpassed Tyler Eifert on that 20-yard touchdown catch. On the broadcast, I I just couldn't believe how impressive he was, but I always feel like when you're there, you can appreciate it a little bit more, and you kind of just see how physically imposing he was. What do you have to say about his performance on Saturday? I think I texted this at some point during the game, but he's pretty much reached like the Golden Tate level of just get him the ball and see what is going to happen, basically. And there have been very few people like that uh, in our lifetime at Notre Dame. He's in that echelon as a tight end, too, which is ridiculous. He's just such a large human being, too. Um, That third and 11 catch where – Pine did throw him open, which was a really nice play, and but he just let Mayer make a play, and it's kind of like, oh, this is crazy what happens when you try to allow your best players to get the ball. Good things happen. That catch was incredible. Um, and, and Pine really did just feed on Michael Mayer all, all day. I, I forget what the exact numbers were, but I'm pretty sure he targeted him somewhat like 15 times, um, right. and he only had 20 – how many attempts did he have? He had 28. Yeah, okay, so literally more than half his attempts were to Mayer. As they um, should be. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and it, it worked. Um, so, yeah, that that was – he was incredible. Um, I, and I'm glad that we have at least, what, seven, eight more games of him So because he's really yeah. fun to watch, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, you mentioned Golden Tate and the level of excitement that we get watching him. The t- Golden Tate excitement level was a little bit different because – he did most of his work after the catch, whereas Mayer yeah. just is physically imposing. That one third down catch he had where the BYU defender was, he played great coverage, was literally all over him, probably holding him a little bit, and Mayer just comes down with the catch on third down, moves the ball. On that uh, one drive where he had that long touchdown, he converted two third downs on that drive. He made it all happen himself. But I think we should, you've already mentioned him, Drew Pine, give him a ton of credit. He finished 22 of 28 for 262 yards, three TDs and a pick. The pick wasn't entirely his fault. It was batted at the line of scrimmage. That's going to happen when your quarterback is five foot ten. And two of the imp- incompletions were drops. I think they gave Mayer a drop on that one third down. It looked like it hit the tip of his hand. I was kind of surprised they rolled it a drop. The Chris Ivory drop was inexplicable. He didn't really have a great game. And if he had caught that screen, 
I don't know. It looked to me like it was going to be a huge play, so that was really unfortunate. His stats could have been even better for Pine. But I think at the beginning, when we first saw him play, it was so, so bad. We were like, okay, can he just be average? Because if he's average, then this team is going to be a lot better shape. And he's proving that he can be a little bit more than that. And now, obviously, give credit to the offensive line. Pine had all day to throw, uh, whether BYU was blitzing or not. But I'm truly stunned by what we're seeing from Pine. He's not the best quarterback ever, but just considering what he was in the first quarter of that Cal game to what he is now, I'm, I'm genuinely shocked. Yeah. I mean, I clearly didn't see it coming. I'm pretty, I'm not pretty sure. I know I said for a fact after the Marshall game that this offense is going to be unwatchable with him a quarterback. So, um, (laughs) I was saying we should run wildcat. So you're certainly not alone. Now, a lot of credit goes to to Tommy Reese and the offensive line. Um, Tommy Reese for putting Drew Pine in positions to succeed. And it's it's funny how <laughs> that's not really the thing getting talked about. It's just that we actually fucked up in the first place by not starting him instead of Tyler Buckner um, from the fan base. Just saying. Um, interesting. <laughs> uh, that nobody wants to give Tommy Reese credit, and they're still complaining about his red zone play calling, um, which whatever. But, yeah, he's been, he's been very good the last two games once you take out the first quarter of the North Carolina game. And, and there's no reason not to be excited about that. Um, and there's no reason to think that can't continue against a pretty awful Stanford team this coming weekend. So, And then UNLV after that. So, yeah, his stat line is pretty ridiculous over the last several games, and it's been fun to watch. Um, one other Michael Mayer stat, by the way, which I, I sent this to you earlier, and I, I, I want this to just – I think this puts some really good perspective around what he's done. Um, he is now second among active FBS tight ends in career receptions. First is Brent Kuth at Utah. He's got 148 catches in 51 games. Uh, Michael Mayer has 146 catches. Third is Sam Laporta with 125 catches. Sam Laporta's done that in 40 games. As I mentioned, the guy from Utah has two more catches than Mayer in 51 games. Mayer has done that in 29 games. Uh, That is pretty ridiculous. It's remarkable, and I think he's just going to destroy everyone else in in stats because with Pine at quarterback, he's going to keep force feeding Mayer as he should. And as long as he can stay healthy, we might see some just absolutely ludicrous numbers for a tight end to put up in in modern college football, but he's that good. And he's that sort of safety net for Pine. And I think with Pine, the, the confidence that he gains, like as he's hitting Mayer, as he's converting these third downs, because that's another thing. Notre Dame finished 11 of 16 on third downs. I think Mayer was responsible for like five of them. And they started over two. Exactly. Yeah. So you have that, and it just makes you feel so much better about yourself if you're Pine. And, you know, it wasn't just him either. Uh, SMA and Logan Diggs had great games at running back. Um, They were so close to eclipsing 100 yards. Neither of them did. SMA had 14 carries for 97 yards. 74 of those yards came after contact, which isn't really surprising when you see SMA and how he runs out there. Logan Diggs, I would say best game of his career at Notre Dame. He finished with 17 carries for 93 yards. It's 5.5 yards per carry. But more important than the stats, one thing that he's really struggled with at Notre Dame has been running in between the tackles. And people, uh, myself included, have been frustrated with the way he he's just bounces things outside so quickly, even when they don't have to. And he's a great runner in space. That's, I'm not saying he's not, but sometimes he forces it and it leads to some negative plays. This game, he was running hard in between the tackles. And boy, did it pay off late in the game because he had... 
the biggest run of the game uh, when he ran that 31 yards, just ran right through a tackle. So a lot of things to be impressed by, but I thought the running backs, just another really strong game from him. Yeah, I can't take the credit for this. Uh, this comes from Connor Colpoise, but as he said, tackling Estime and Diggs in the fourth quarter, tougher than a weekend at your in-laws, tougher than boxing out the brothers Waitula in a March bookstore game, 10-2 and two Irish. Um, anyways, yeah, I was very impressed by both of them, especially they both hurdled guys. Again, uh, after like running for a while too, which is kind of the insane part about that, uh, it was it was Diggs' best game. He's he's played in a Notre Dame uniform to date, and Estime just continues to get after you and get after you all day. Um, so that's a very very lethal combo that they have, and I fully expect Chris Tyree to bounce back against Stanford too. So you throw him in, like yeah, it's it's a very impressive trio of running backs. One thing I'll say, just this trio and what we're seeing here, we can't stress enough just how important the O-line's development has been in all of this because it just changes the entire outlook on the team. The O-line sucked the first two weeks. Notre Dame loses both those games. And I know we keep going back to this Tyler Buckner, Drew Pine thing. All I'll have to say about it is, yes, as a fan base, we should all be rooting for Drew Pine to make it a quarterback competition. Hopefully Tommy Reese has a real tough decision to make in the offseason because if that's the case, that means Pine played really well. But just imagine what this offense would look like with this current offensive line, the way they're gelling, and with Tyler Buckner in the backfield. We'd run for 350 yards a game. Like, we'd have four really good running backs, if you include the quarterback, Tyler Buckner. But again, this is the team that Notre Dame has. This is the offense that they're going to run. And past two games, they've had a ton of success. Another thing we should point out, because we have been very, very hard on the receivers, and I would say rightfully so, but Jaden Thomas stepped up in a huge way and I jokingly texted you during the game who is 83 when he made that touchdown catch it was just so great to finally have something right yeah it was a great catch too you're right and he also had a a critical third down reception later in the game where he found a way to get open so you are seeing development throughout the season now if we can get that out of a couple more guys um, that would be nice too Tobias Merriweather got three snaps. Uh, I saw Deion Colsey out there a little bit more this week, too. So at least they're on the field. Um, I I don't really know what else to say. Um, I thought Lorenzo Styles, though he was quiet, the one big catch he did have was a very nice catch. So, yeah, yeah, you saw saw a few things. Even Lindsey had a catch that wasn't just a fly route. So (laughs) I'm I'm just happy that when we're throwing this deep ball, it's it's to anyone else other than Lindsey. Lindsey. Keep running those out routes. We'll hit you. We'll move five yards. And you know what? That's just what you're going to do in your 54 snaps a game. But that was the thing about Thomas is like his stats don't blow you away. He had three catches for 74 yards, but they're all important. Uh, you mentioned that third down play. The touchdown play was by far the best play any Notre Dame wide receiver has made this season because he went up and it wasn't a perfect throw and he made a play despite good coverage. And like that's the thing that – you and I have been saying is like the receiver play has been so bad. We don't need a Michael Floyd or a Golden Tate. Just give us something so that the defense has to respect any outside threat other than Michael Mayer. And finally, they got it in Jaden Thomas. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Well, we don't need a Michael Floyd or a Golden Tate because you have that already. Yeah, right. His exactly. name is Michael Mayer. <laughs> All right, what else we got going on here? Uh, defense, kind of an up-and-down game, but I thought that they finished strong on that fourth and one. Jason Admiola and Nana Osafamensa came up huge on that play. Is there anything else from the defense that stood out to you in a good way? I thought Jack Heiser played well. Um, obviously, he had that safety 
good to see Tariq Bracey get a pick, too, even though it was an absolute duck on the first play of the game. It's also good to hear that Tariq Bracey just has, like, a grade one hamstring pull. So, I mean, there's no reason for him to play the next couple weeks, but uh, it sounds like he should be okay. Yeah, good things happen. He he had not another just great game before he got hurt. I'm not glad. I was really worried when he first went down because it was <laughs> no contact, and I I was fearing the worst, but... Glad he's healthy. I don't know if we're going to see him um, against Stanford this weekend. I think Marcus Freeman listed him as questionable. I'm totally fine if he doesn't play this weekend. Maybe uh, Mickey can come in and, and clean up some of the mistakes he's made so far. We got to talk about John Sott. Um, and it's it's more fun to talk about your punter when the offense has actually been a lot better than it was at the beginning when we were like trying to find positives in the 0-2 start and John Sott is all we had. So way more positive conversation about him. Uh, he's incredible. He ranks third in the country in average yards per punt and first in percent of total punts inside the 20 and not returned. When Notre Dame picked him up over the summer, whatever it was, it was like a blip on the radar. And now he's he should be in contention for the Ray Guy Award. And uh, he's come up huge. Yeah. Why was he at Harvard before this is my question, because uh, he can really boot it. Uh, like, I, I guess maybe that's just one of those things where there's a lot of misses in punting recruiting because just nobody wants to have a good punter or just like I would shouldn't have the punt. Um, but I'll take it. He's been he's been very good. He's been very good. And if he keeps this up, I'm serious, he might actually win the Ray Guy Award. And uh, yeah, it's it's kind of hilarious just how nails he's become and it's really good to see. Yeah, I mean, also, uh, Blake Groupie just drills. A, I know it was a chip shot, but it still, it made it huge. A, a eight-point game. That was critical. That little midget just drilled one from, <laughs> from short and made them, they were going to have to score and, and get a two-point conversion. So shout True. out to him as well. I, I'm not going to lie. I was not super confident in that moment. I don't know why. I guess it was just the way things are going, but I was right. not feeling that he was going to I get that. that. And he did. So give a credit to him. And then it made that last drive a lot. Well, I was still very, I was still very anxious watching that, but a little bit less because Notre Dame was up by eight. They, there was no way they could lose on that possession. All right, let's go to the negatives. Um, there's a few that we could choose from, but the one that stands out to me is just another blown coverage. It just makes me wonder, like what what does Notre Dame have with their DBs? Because I think they're good, and for the most part, they play well. And then there was an Another play in this game, you're like, what the hell happened? They give up that 53-yard touchdown. We obviously saw a few of those against North Carolina. So what do you make of these chunk plays that Notre Dame's DBs have been giving up these past few weeks? Yeah, did one of those come on the safety blitz? Yes. So they should probably stop doing that is my takeaway. The blitzing from depth is not really working. But you're right. I don't really know what to make of it. Um, Because I do think they're pretty good for the most part. But that... It, it just it makes me wonder where that's coming from because let's be honest, there's just were never things that happen with a Clark Lee defense or with a Mike Elko defense over you know a four year period. They happened occasionally last year, but I, I don't know if they were necessarily coverage bust. They're more so just somebody would get burned. Yeah, bad tackle, like. bad tackling yeah. too. Um, these are just different, and I don't know what's causing that. If it's a communication problem or whatever, but. It should probably stop. Uh, it also sucks. Clarence Lewis, he only got, what, seven snaps, but he did drop a pick six. I know some people, Greg said, yeah. uh, it's he, no, he's got to catch that. That's got to be a pick <laughs> yes, six. I love Greg, and I'm, I'm Especially I where Clarence him, yeah. Lewis's mentality is at right now, that's a play he has yeah. to have for his own sake. And this is coming from the leader of the Clarence Lewis revenge tour. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, what the tour it is. <laughs> it's, it's not been going well, but you, you did say we will need Clarence Lewis this year, and I, I still think that's true. It might happen this week now that uh, Tariq Bracey might not be playing. But I agree, man. I know that technically like it wasn't an easy play, but if you're a junior cornerback fighting get, mm-hmm. to get your starting job back, and also like you're a defensive back, very rarely does the interception come as easy as the one that Tariq Bracey had at the beginning. You've got to make the play. You've got to make the difficult yeah. catch. And if he had caught it, that's touchdown. And, you know, how different is the conversation about him? Unfortunately, he drops it. But the blown coverage this game wasn't him. Uh, Marcus Freeman sort of took blame in the press conference today saying that Jane Mickey was supposed to go with the runner a little bit longer than he did. He was expecting Houston Griffith to pick him up. That's not how it happened. And then just an egregious display of tackling as Notre Dame safeties tried to recover and get him down. It didn't happen that way. I think for me, the weirdest thing about these chunk plays is, is it's coming against like BYU. But meanwhile, they didn't give up one against Ohio State, who has far superior wide receivers. And by the way, that game is aging super well because Ohio State looks literally unstoppable, especially the receiving core, even without Jackson Smith and Jigba. So that doesn't really make sense to me. Another thing that doesn't make sense to me, and this has kind of been going on all season, we haven't really talked about it, but the play of the linebackers, and specifically Maris Leofau in in, uh, this last game, certainly left a lot to be desired. Yeah, it it did. Um, and I had to laugh because I was on the message boards last night uh, and somebody asked Mike Goolsby to comment on the linebacker play. And the comment was, Mike G, can you comment on the linebacker play of Bertrand and Leofau? They appear to suck. That's like the <laughs> nicest way of saying these guys suck. Not they do suck, they they appear to suck. So that yeah. leaves open the possibility that they might not actually suck. It just that's how it looks. Yeah, and I won't get all the way into what Goolsby said. Uh if you want to find out, then subscribe to Blue and Gold Illustrated. But he literally said, I'm done with Marist. They gotta stop catering to him like Collie needs to play now, which is crazy, I thought, because they asked Marcus Freeman about um Prince Collie today in in his press conference, which we didn't mention, he also had a sack of his own in that game, uh, which was, but he basically said he just needs to keep practicing well and then he'll get more snaps. But yeah, Marist has, has not been very good this year. And I don't know if he's just not healthy or whatever it is, but it's not the, the game breaker that we thought we were getting in him. Uh, he, I just don't know what's going on. And, and yeah, I mean, Bertrand has not been, outside of the targeting, he's been not really that impressive this year. I think the only guy that's kind of given them anything is Jack Kaiser. Um, obviously, Bo Bauer. He did have one really nice stop yeah. the other night, but then I don't know if he got hurt on that again because we didn't see him again after that. So um, I don't know what's going on. It was weird because Bo Bauer got the start and then he only finished with six snaps. He did come up huge. He filled the hole, uh, had a great tackle one-on-one in the gap. It was really impressive. But then, yeah, we didn't see him the rest of the game. And it's just so weird because the conversation about the linebackers going into the season was so high. Like Al Golden was talking about how he's never encountered a smarter group of college linebackers than this group. And, you know, they bring James Laurinaitis, like a legendary college linebacker, onto the coaching staff. So they basically have three linebacker coaches with James Laurinaitis as a GA, but working with that group. Al Golden coaching the linebackers and Marcus Freeman is the head coach, but he coached the linebackers last year. So wasn't Al Washington the linebackers coach? Yeah, at, at Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. but he that wasn't his natural position. That's kind of why he got fired. Yeah. Um, yeah, or at least not retained. I don't know if they officially called it a firing, but you know, you get the point. 
Another area of concern was the D-line and specifically the interior D-line. Since our last episode, uh, defensive tackle Jacob Lacey announced his intentions to transfer from Notre Dame. He's going to redshirt the rest of the season to preserve this year of eligibility. Just really tough, tough situation overall considering two weeks ago or a little bit longer than that, but against Cal, he had two sacks in that game. Um, and by all accounts, he's a great guy. When I first heard it, I was genuinely shocked by it. But then I guess it makes sense because he his snap count decreased every week since that game. Uh, Gabe Rubio is starting to play a little bit more than him, and he's a freshman, so he might have seen the writing on the wall and realized he's not going to start. So he wanted to go somewhere else where he can, and, and, and I get that. But then that comes out a couple of days before, and then we find out on Saturday that Howard Cross has an ankle injury. And all of a sudden, Notre Dame's giving up a lot on the ground to a team who wasn't particularly good at running the ball coming into it. They uh, BYU's getting 6.1 yards per play and 5.5 yards per rush. So what did you make of the performance from the D-line? Well, yeah, Lacey probably doesn't transfer if Cross uh, sprains his ankle a few days earlier. Because <laughs> he's uh, a starter yeah. then. <laughs> I know. That's crazy to think about. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, you saw Gabe Rubio in there. I thought he got 20-something snaps, which is a lot. I wasn't blown away by anything he did. I didn't think he was terrible by any means. Although on that last touchdown run, he did get blown off the ball um, and sent right into J.D. Bertrand, which is why the second level of the defense got wiped out. Uh, but yeah, I don't really know what I make of that. I, hopefully Howard Cross is back this week. It sounds like he will be. And I think, I don't know how much we're really going to learn against Stanford anyways. Actually, I shouldn't say that. The last time I said I don't know how <laughs> yeah, much we're going to yeah. learn. <laughs> But I'm not overly concerned. I think that's something that should be shored up because, frankly, Notre Dame has been pretty good against the run this year. So I, I just might chalk that up to an anomaly, and, and hopefully Howard Cross gets back. Yeah, and the weird thing is, even though Lacey wasn't starting, the team rotates so much, I would say almost to a fault. Like Isaiah Foskey only played on 27 out of the 43 snaps. I know you want to rotate and keep guys fresh, but like Isaiah Foskey is far and away the best player on that defense. I feel like he should be out there a little bit more, but... That wasn't the case. He wasn't out there for some key plays late in the game. I don't know if he was hurt or dealing with something, but we'll see how that changes going forward. Um, I think that's it on the defense, though. The red zone offense left a lot to be desired as well. They finished 3 of 4 in the red zone. I know a lot of fans have been frustrated with Notre Dame on 4th and 1, 3rd and 1. It hasn't been great. Uh, SMA got stuffed. I didn't like the play call to to run that tunnel screen to Mayer, uh, so I get all that. But uh, overall, what did you think of the red zone offense? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, I didn't really have a, a ton of problems with what they were calling down there. I just thought they needed to execute better. Obviously, the one fourth and one, I think we learned that Drew Pine made the wrong read on it. It was actually an RPO. So yeah. whatever, because they'd actually been kind of pretty good in the red zone prior to that game. I think they were operating in a pretty yeah. high clip. So I think they're still like 38th in the country in red zone scoring offense. So that's not terrible. So, yeah, um, that's kind of all I have on the offense. We talked about Chris Tyree, who did not have a great game. I think he may have been a little bit banged up. Um, hopefully that's nothing serious, but um, I guess we'll see moving forward. All right. Uh, I think that's it on BYU. Obviously, later this week we'll come out with our full Stanford preview. But as it stands, as we as we sit here today and talk about the Stanford game and how much it's changed, I, I just got to ask, like, why is this a night game? Can we flex it? We should have that ability. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I The last place that I want to go after uh, Vegas is probably South Bend, but I guess I'm doing that. Yeah, uh, for the Stanford night game? Night game. Um, 
hopefully some of that energy that was in Vegas is brought to this game. But I think this has the potential to be a pretty empty game, to be honest. Uh, I don't know how many tickets are currently available, so maybe I'm speaking way out of turn. But I feel like there aren't going to be any Stanford fans at this game. Why would they want to see that trash operation other than to maybe pay homage to David Shaw and <laughs> what should be his last game? Yeah, this would be quite the victory lap for you if Notre Dame does end the career of David Shaw at Stanford because you have been on this definitely since the beginning, since we started this podcast, because you you have had very strong opinions about him since day one, and things have just gone bad for Morris over there in Palo Alto. What what did you say their record was? One in twelve in their last thirteen games, something like oh, that. Oh, since they since they beat Oregon. You're yeah, right. Exactly. They, they win a yeah. top ten game and then they win one game out of the next thirteen. Yeah. Um you got any final thoughts there before we wrap this up? No, I mean winning heals all, right? That's I think my biggest takeaway, and it's it's fun, and let's just see how long we can ride this thing, and hopefully that Clemson game means something in November. Um, it, worst case, we can play spoiler, but yeah, let's let's just keep going. <laughs> okay. That'll do it for this episode of Sons of Saturday Irish. We'll be back on Thursday to talk about Notre Dame's upcoming game against Stanford. And we're planning to have uh, a guest on as well. So be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Sons of Sat Irish to stay updated on that and subscribe to the show as well. Um, for Luke and myself, thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you in a couple days. Bye.